Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Differing Things will cover many topics, both spiritual and current, to draw our listeners closer to their creator. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. Let us be honest, not all is merry and bright. To some, the season may genuinely feel like the most wonderful time of the year, but all of us know deep down that not all is merry and bright in this world or in us. Some Christmases, we feel the burden and weight more than others. Some buoyant personalities can keep rehearsing Christmas even in hard seasons of life, seemingly unfazed. But for others, all the talk of joy and merriment at Christmas can make our sorrows feel even more acute, our pain all the more painful. Normal life is hard enough. It is even harder when all the world seems to be singing, ringing bells, and pretending, everything suddenly is merry. The pressure to feel the joy of Christmas can make joy even more difficult. We know that Jesus came to bring life to the dead, to rescue the perishing, to heal the sick, to destroy the works of Satan. The real Christmas, however, does not ignore our pain. When we open the pages of Scripture and turn to the events surrounding the birth of our Savior, we find without doubt that all was not merry and bright. The new glimpses of merriness that do emerge fall against the backdrop of misery in disorder. Those first rays of brightness shone in a land of deep darkness. For thousands of years, God's people had waited for the fulfillment of his promises. And for 400 years, God had so, it seemed, gone silent until he began to cry as a newborn in Bethlehem. Ponder the pains and miseries and fears surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. First, let us consider Mary. Doubtless much excitement and anticipation came with the angel's announcement, along with great confusion and misunderstanding. Soon she a young teenage girl would be showing, betrothed, but unmarried. Soon the watching eyes of her native Nazareth would make her the subject of their whispering and judgments. Even three decades later, her son's enemies would play the card when outmaneuvered, stating in John 8.41, We were not born 
of sexual immorality. If Jesus could not leave such rumors behind, then Mary even more. And consider Joseph. His betrothed was found to be with child before their marriage in Matthew 1.18. What disgrace would have attended this news for him? How deeply hurt he must have felt to find her pregnant. How angry and betrayed he must have felt. She had seemed so wonderful, so chaste, so favored by God. What dreams were certainly shattered. What turmoil he must have faced. However long those hours and days dragged on between learning of her pregnancy and the angel leading later appearing to him in a dream. Imagine all the whispers that were going on in his conscience. The conflict of wanting to do what is right and wanting to protect himself from hurt and pain and misery. The agony of the conflict that ensued. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 records for us. Trusting the angel's word comforted Joseph's own soul. But he must have had his momentary lapses, and I am sure he heard the whispers behind his back and saw the pointing of individuals as they looked at him and made ridicule of the man whose betrothed was pregnant before he knew her. And word of his dream would not stop the gossip around town. More significant than Joseph's or Mary's pain, however, is the pain and sin and suffering and ruin for which Jesus came. The angel declared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Every Jew agreed God's people needed saving, saving from Roman occupation and dominion. The coming of Jesus Christ was at least a reminder of their political subjugation to pagan Gentiles. But the angel's announcement to Joseph did not even mention Rome. God's first covenant people indeed needed saving from their own sins, from the darkness and corruption within them. 
if God's people, not to mention the nations, weren't needy desperately so, there would have been no birth. Jesus Christ did not come to put on a show or make a cameo in history. He came to bring life to the dead, to rescue the perishing, to heal the sick, to destroy the works of Satan. For centuries, misery and darkness had been compounding. Only in coming to such a broken world would Jesus' arrival signal hope for any real merriment in brightness. The song, O Holy Night, has a line which sums this up perfectly. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. When it came time for the child to be born, the town of Bethlehem would offer its own surprisingly modest reception. The angel had said, this was the Messiah. This was the long-anticipated king. And yet, no royal welcome proved forthcoming. No palace, no Jerusalem. Instead, six miles outside the big city was a little town known as the lowly hometown of David, the nation's greatest king from a thousand years before. Known not because of its quality, but because it was such a surprisingly humble birthplace for such a great king. Whether it was an inn, as we know them, or something more like a guest room at a private residence, which the Greek word kataluma implies, and it appears in Mark 14, 14, and Luke 22, 11. It is clear that there was no place for them in it, whether it was an inn or a private residence. Can this really be the Christ, and there is no place for him? So Mary laid her firstborn son in a manger. Whether it was a worst-case scenario or not, it plainly was not the ideal. Further humbling came in who didn't show and who did. No local or national dignitaries visited, so far as we know. Sometime later, foreign astrologers would come, which at the time, may have been as confusing as it was encouraging. No doubt the visit and awe of the shepherds in the word of a stunning angelic announcement must have been a tremendous boost 
to them. The couple probably was somewhat baffled and yet encouraged all at the same time. Mary would treasure these things and ponder them with great joy in her heart, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 19. And yet, yet the visit of the blue-collar shepherds only reinforced, given the promises that this was the Messiah. What a long, humble, and painful road this would be to his long-appointed glory. For Mary, shock must have come soon after the birth, when she presented her newborn son in the temple. An old man named Simeon confirmed his sense that this child was the Christ, but then turned to look Mary in the eye and spoke to her a sobering, prophetic word. Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35 records, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Her child being the Christ would not mean immunity to controversy, enemies, and great pain, but precisely the opposite. And Mary herself would have a sword pierce through your own soul also. What could this mean? But that some great tragedy was appointed. Could her own soul be pierced by anything other than his premature death? Finally, and most horrifically, related to Christmas, came one of the greater tragedies in all the Bible. Dozens of infant and toddler boys, up to the age of two, were ripped away from their parents' arms and slaughtered by an insecure, vicious tyrant. Herod became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, as recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. This was not the slaughter of the guilty, as we see in various ways throughout Scripture. But like Pharaoh tossing newborn Hebrew sons into the Nile, this was a slaughter of the innocents. Oh, what pain and agony would come in the wake of the events surrounding the birth of our Savior.
I'm here to tell you today that Christmas does not ignore our many pains. Neither does it bid us to wallow in them. Again, commissioning an angel, God rescues his son from this slaughter to preserve him for a later and even more horrific one. And Joseph and Mary, though still having their son, would have the pain and discomfort of fleeing to Egypt to save his life from the wicked king, or rather, tetrarch. A flight other parents would have been happy to take in exchange for not losing their sons. Yet Mary's time, as prophesied, would come soon enough. The life that came into the world that very first Christmas day was not to be an easy one. Not at birth, not at infancy, and not in adulthood. In fact, the opening words of John's gospel capture a particular pain that would be true of Jesus' life as a whole. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 tells us. Isaiah had prophesied that the Christ would be despised and rejected. And he was, that he would be a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And indeed he was. But this, like painful and challenging as it would be, was not unacquainted with the deep, deep joy that could sustain the man of sorrows. Our apostle in this present dispensation of the grace of God tells us of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Yes, indeed, Jesus really left the glory and splendor and riches of the celestials and took upon himself deep poverty so that we, indeed, would become rich. The great joy the angels announced at their first day, their very first birth event that we use to celebrate Christmas with, it can sustain us. Christmas does not ignore our many pains. Neither does it bid us wallow in them. Christmas takes them seriously. More seriously than any secular celebration ever could. And it reminds us 
that our God has seen our pain and heard our cries for help, just as he did Israel and her pain and cries in Exodus chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, in Exodus 3, verses 7 through 9, in Exodus 6, 5, in dozens of other passages. He himself has come to deliver us. Christmas in this age does not guarantee merry and bright. Not yet. But it does promise that merriness and brightness are breaking in. Christmas at its best gives us a peek of the uncompromised joy that is coming. And as we glimpse it, even from afar, we have a foretaste. Like the Apostle Paul and the man of sorrows himself, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10. We may be broken, sorrowful, hurting, or distressed at Christmas, and yet in Christ, by his Spirit, God can and does give us the wherewithal to rejoice. After all, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I ask you, can God ever fail at what he sets out to do? Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.